You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. This year is a time for us as a church to go again, to get up again, to dream again, to work hard again, and see God move again. We want that, don't we? There are things that we can do that will put us in a position for God to move again. There's a curious verse in the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea. And the situation is that Hosea has, has married a woman who is a prostitute and she's cheating on him. And God says to him, go again, Hosea. Go back to her. Have another crack. And he does. He gets up and he goes again. And that's, that's our situation, is it? After a couple of years of pandemic trauma and change and uncertainty, it's time to see God move again. Right? Are we all on the same page on that one? We want to see God move. So tonight it's time to hear again, to hear the voice of God again. Now you might say, well, I've never actually heard it before. Why would I hear it again? Well, I think we, I think we sort of think that hearing God speak is, is a thing that like happens in field, field of Dreams. You know, that, speaking of cheesy sports movies, anyone seen Field of Dreams? Like where you've got Kevin Costner, the great Kevin Costner, great actor, walking through his cornfield at the, at the very start and you hear this sort of, sort of creepy intro music and it rattles around and, that, and then, then it stops and you hear the voice, if you build it, he will come. And it's, it, it's just this voice that speaks to him and it speaks to him again and it gives him a trail and it, and it lets it, it's not always that easy, yeah? But first thing that we need to understand is that it's not out of the ordinary for God to communicate with us as humans. We're actually designed to hear from God. It's in our DNA. It's in our nature as followers of Jesus to have faith, but it's in our nature as human beings to hear from God. We were designed that way, in His image, to hear from Him. If you say, well, I've never heard God speak, well, you just can't be a Christian. Controversy. Yeah. If you, if you say that God has never spoken to you, you couldn't be saved. You couldn't be born again. Because our conversion, getting saved, is in response to his invitation. It's never initiated by us. Like we can have a service like this and we can give an invitation for people to give their lives to Jesus and people put their hand up and come out the front and we'll pray for them. And not one of them would actually say, I clearly heard God speak to me. But he must have, because they became aware of their unsaved condition. They became aware of their lostness. They became aware of their separation from him, so that that has to have been communicated to them somehow. Somehow, yeah? They actually heard from God. See, comprehension is not the evidence that we've heard. We can't put God on the same level as humans, speaking to each other in sentences and and words. God's languages are so diverse. He's so much higher than us. We can, he can speak things to us that are so deep and profound and so beyond our capacity to understand in that he speaks to our spirit man and he leaves a seed, a deposit that may take days, weeks or even months to unfold. People in business can make a decision for their business and all of a sudden, boom, it takes off. Things take off and the business thrives. Maybe you make a phone call to a friend. 
that's really timely and you don't have a clue, but the phone call changes everything for them. Or in the middle of the conversation, you just come up with an idea and everyone around you is amazed. And you think, what a clever little person I am. But what's happened is that God has actually ministered to you previously, maybe in the night, weeks before, and spoken to you and prepared you for that moment. And we think it's our personal brilliance, but it's actually originated with the voice of God. He does speak, and more than we realise. And what I want to emphasise tonight is that you have already been designed to perceive and hear. It's already in your design. You need to agree with that and say amen. Jesus' disciple, John, records in his gospel a story about Jesus' second most famous sermon. His most famous sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. The second most famous sermon is the Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood sermon. You know that one? Yeah, you didn't get the podcast, did you? So here's the situation. We have 15 to 20,000 people who are in a crowd because Jesus has just fed them. He's multiplied food to them. He's walked on water during the night and they followed him across the lake on boats. And then Jesus starts to preach. And he decides this time to take a different tack because he gets controversial. His other sermons are a bit less offensive, but this was a doozy. And by the time he gets to the end, everybody has left. They've walked out. It, was, it wasn't a, a building, but they've just walked out wherever, left and gone. And the only ones there are his disciples. And he says to them, well, are you guys going to leave too? And, and Peter says, and Peter gets it right once in a while. He says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. The things you speak give us life. Every time you talk, he says, we come alive. He's saying, we didn't understand the sermon about eat my flesh, drink my blood, any more than all the people that left. But what we do understand is that when you talk, we come alive. There was a quality about his words. There's a quality that we need to to build into ourselves to recognise the words when they come from, from heaven. And Jesus explains it later. He says, my words are spirit, presence, and life. They give life. In other words, the words that come from God bring his presence into us. We can be people that understand what God is saying and doing by recognising the life that comes accompanying the communication. So let's make an early, an early clarification tonight. When we talk about hearing God's voice again, we're not talking about hearing actual words or, or hearing anything. We're talking about communication from God. Every insertion of God into our consciousness, we'll call that hearing from God, yeah? Just for the sake of the argument. So without hearing any audible voice or hearing with actual ears. So we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 12, and uh, it, just, it just spells out a little bit about God speaking and how, how different people perceive his voice. So John 12, verse 27 to 30, it's just a few verses. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that were there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not for mine. See, when God speaks, people hear different things. 
even though the scripture clearly identifies this as God speaking in an audible voice, every, even then, everybody who heard it fell into three categories. Those who thought it was just a natural phenomenon, thunder. Those who thought it was supernatural, but not personal, an angel is speaking, and those who heard it as the voice of God. Could, could you fall into one of these categories, ever? Could you place yourself in one of these categories? But God is speaking, and he's speaking a lot more than we think. So for the sake of, the, of, uh, of tonight, the exercise will say that hearing covers all form of communication. So right now, I want to sketch out for you four ways that we can be communicated with by God, four ways of hearing him, hearing him, other things as well. So we'll talk about that. We'll sketch that out. And then I want to talk about some things we can do to make ourselves more aware of God's voice. So you in? Yeah. You in on that? Let's go. So four hearing personality types distilled from the Bible characters and how God spoke to them through their lives, along with some research. Strengths and weaknesses. A what's and all expose. Okay? First one, Noah's. Noah's have aha moments. The light comes on. They sense something from deep. If you're a Noah, you're someone who will have thoughts, but then you'll have a thought that is clearer than others. And it can seem like it was out of nowhere, out of a different stream of thought. You often hear people say, is that God or is that me? You don't, you don't do that. You know it's God. Uh, you have a rule of thumb in your life. If the thought inspires love, hope, and, God, and faith, it's God. If it inspires ambition and self-promotion, it's you. Noahs are intuitive. They just know. God uses impressions to speak to you if you're a Noah. Sometimes this happens first thing in the morning in that twilight zone when you wake up. It happens in the middle of the night. So if you're a Noah, when you wake up in the middle of the night, put your mind in neutral and wait. Noahs know how things will work out. They know, how, they know the end. Weaknesses with Noahs. Noahs tend to race ahead and leave people behind. They leave people out of the process. When God moves in a different direction, Noahs can have the basic message, but not the current leading. They can fall behind. And they have, so they have to keep checking in with God. Any Noahs here? You're not going to say, are you? No, you're not going to give yourselves away. Number two, seers. Seers see pictorially. Gentle internal visions to open visions. An open vision is where you close your eyes, you open your eyes, you still see the vision. That's currency for you. You see. The prophet Samuel, he was a seer. But he was more than that. With seers, when God shows you something, you immediately have faith for that thing. You, you, it builds faith within you when you see it. You, you'll feel as if it's as good as done, that God will bring the people, he'll bring the money, God's going to do it, it'll happen, and there's faith in that moment. You can see past what other people can see, and you can see long distance, and you're usually paired with somebody who can see short distances, it will annoy you, but they'll fill in the gaps. You'll find that when God shows you something and you try to explain it to others, that they won't get it as enthusiastically as you. Anybody ever done that? Seers are impatient. They get tripped up in the mundane, but looking after the mundane is required to see the fulfillment of what God has shown them. They don't like the nuts and bolts. 
but they need to do the little things and love people more practically. That's seers. Number three is hearers. Jeremiah was a hearer. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hearers know what God is speaking. Not only that, they can recall accurately time and date, those presents, decor and weather conditions on the day that he spoke to them. They're that precise. If you hear God in this way, then value it highly. It's usually sovereign. Hearers can, wait. Hearers can hear what God is doing, but they can hear and work independently on something until it comes to pass. Hearers are good and patient. The fact that they can point to a specific moment of hearing gives them their ground for confidence. Weaknesses. Hearers can tend to overtell what they've heard and become annoying. And by being annoying, people won't really want to listen to them. Hearers should try to pick out the main themes and communicate that. Hearers are generally not team players. And the last one, feelers. And all the feelers have a feeling that they might have been left out. <laughs> the prophet Nahum was a feeler. He stands out here. He described God's mood. Feelers have an insight to God's emotions. They can walk into a situation and get an immediate vibe, good, bad, etc. You'll know feelers because one of their stock in trade lines is, can you feel that? Did you feel that? Hey, hey, did you feel that? They can't explain it. They just feel it. They're given to being interrupted by God. They'll down tools and see that feeling through. They can catch a moment that everybody else misses. Weaknesses. Feelers don't function well if they don't feel right. <laughs> you can tend to take over conversations with what you're feeling. As you mature, you'll learn to wait and pray through things and be guided by the Holy Spirit towards the outcome he's looking for. Feelers can also think a feeling is restricted to a feeling and is not God speaking. So that's four common ways that you can hear from God. Knowers, seers, hearers, and feelers. Maybe I've identified a category and you've identified yourself with that category, all well and good if that's the case. It's just something to help us realise there are other ways as well, but that's the four main general types. So what are we going to do? We're going to look at a passage, a very familiar New Testament passage uh, to, that's pivotal to New Testament life. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the dirty page in any Pentecostal person's Bible, and so much centres around these two verses, and we're going to dig in to these two verses. We're going to pull out four things that will help us to be better hearers of God's voice, or even to start hearing God's voice, if that's the case. So why don't we read it together? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, you know, the living sacrifice passage. It says this, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. New Testament life, the, the mode of living that, that Jesus advocated, flows out of the renewed mind. That's where it all happens. The renewed mind lives and breathes kingdom. And we see present in our bodies, and in, we, when we present our bodies a, a living sacrifice, what we're doing is already posturing ourselves to obey him. Because pre-obedience attracts 
his voice. That's the first thing. Pre-obedience attracts his voice. I don't discover what God is saying by analysis. It happens through surrender. It's not, under, it's not the understanding that is wrong. He commands us to pursue wisdom and understanding. But the problem happens when we only obey what we understand. Because then we have a God that is our size. He looks the same as us. When we only obey what we understand. What he's looking for is a people who are yielded to him. Who'll say yes before he speaks. And the yes before he speaks is what actually attracts his voice. That's what's meant by a living sacrifice. It's presenting ourselves poised to obey. How does this happen? Well, I wish I could say, oh, I'll pray for you and you'll have a renewed mind. Well, when you give your life to Jesus, your mind becomes renewable. But then comes the hard daily work of the renewing process, your devotional life. Spiritual practices. It's where we surrender, where we yield ground daily till we reach a point where we can say, you know what? The answer is yes, Lord, before he even asks. A long time ago, almost a lifetime ago, I worked for the Commonwealth Bank. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I actually worked for some very good leaders in the Commonwealth Bank. And, and I remember one particular piece of advice given to me by, by one of those leaders. I was about to leave a branch and go to a new branch, and he just called me aside. And he said to me, when you get to your new branch, if the boss asks you, can you do something, just say, just say yes. So even if you can't, even if you don't know how, just say yes. He said, and then scramble like anything to catch up and learn and be that person that does know. And, uh, and it actually changed my life. Wow. Changed my, my, my career in the bank, turned on that moment. Wow. I went to my new branch and they said, can you do loans? I said, yes. <laughs> Didn't have a clue. Can you, can you do arrears follow-up? Of course I can. You know. Can you supervise? Why not? You know? And I just, I just said yes to everything and then had the scrambling capacity to work the other things out and, and it, it actually propelled me yeah. and that was, that was a, a valuable lesson, probably the most valuable workplace lesson I've ever had and it's actually a good way of, of positioning yourself. If you're prepared to say yes and then scramble to do it, you put yourself out on a limb and it's actually exciting yeah. to do it that way. So yeah, so that's, a, that's it, to be that the pre-obedience attracts his voice. Yeah? So number two, do not be conformed to this world. Go against the grain of the times. The world word in that sentence doesn't mean a place. It doesn't mean, the, the, as Christians call, the world. That thing out there that's the world, the world thingy, you know? It's not that. The word, is, the word that usually is used for world is cosmos, but this time it's aeon, which means it refers to a time, the age, the current age. So do not be conformed to the current age. That's what this actually means. Now, this current age is an age all of its own. Technical revolutions of the past 600 years haven't favoured the church. 
Every one of them has shaped the world towards more individual individuality rather than collective. And when this was written, it was easy to see a world that was shaped by the church, shaped by the kingdom. But now we live in a world shaped by billionaires. Do we not? Our network world of social media and global capitalism is shaped by very rich people who seek to get richer because of it. Smartphones. Have you ever picked up your phone to check something, a message or an email, but you were distracted by another app? And then several apps and 90 minutes later, you get back to what you actually started out to do, if you actually remember it all. Let me say that no human knows you as well as your smartphone does. They know exactly what you like. They know exactly your spending patterns. They know exactly... It's very creepy, isn't it? You know, oh, uh, Your smartphone knows you better than your spouse does, than your parents do. Yeah. Take that on board. It knows your preferences and it knows what to distract you with. When I was growing up, you, you knew who people who gambled were. They were all congregated outside the TAB down in Bandamba with the form guide in their pocket waiting for, and, and a transistor radio waiting for the race results to come on. You knew the people who gambled. And there was only three things you could gamble on, like horse racing, the gallopers, trots, and the dogs. That was it. Now, if you have the right app, you can place a bet on what colour the eyes are of the Australian cricket captain's girlfriend. <laughs> and you know what? It's all hidden, all out of the way. It's all hideable and private, and there is no mediator. Same with porn. Mm. I'll go there. When I was growing up, porn happened when a bloke had this dodgy book down behind the boys' toilets. Now it's on everybody's phone. It's hideable, there's no mediation, and it's private. Can we use our devices to serve us rather than serve them? Use our, our devices for a, a greater level of a devotional life or greater connection with our Christian friends and go against the grain of the times and open ourselves up to a greater level of hearing from God. Number three, the renewed mind is available to new things. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. New Testament people are constantly changing. We've just been through a couple of years of uncertainty, of virus, pandemics, that sort of thing. And you know what? When we were in the throes of the pandemic, we were, we were trying all sorts of strategies to overcome it. You know, how could we do church during the pandemic? All of those sort of things. And we're trying to come up with all these strategies and we missed the lesson of the pandemic because the enemy actually had the strategy. The virus was adaptable. When it got stopped, he just, he just changed. He morphed into something else and came in through a different passage or something like that. The, the, the virus was adaptable. He was able to change quickly. I speak about him as if he's a person. Don't I? 
the virus. <laughs> the, le learn the lesson of the virus, adaptability. See, we all have preconceived ideas of what a move of God looks like or how God moves, different things in church life. We carry with us our own religious, cultural dogma. And it shapes the way we see things. It's actually a film over the lens of how we see God. The renewed mind wipes away that film and places our minds in a state of neutral that allows us to move in whatever way God determines. It makes us available to the new thing. There's a, there's a term in sport called unwaiting. We say, we say that in church, we are unwaiting, yes, the Lord takes the weight of the burden. It's nothing to do with that. It's a biomechanical term, unwaiting. When I used to coach football, I used to coach a particular drill on this unwaiting sort of idea. And it was to make you adaptable in the moment. And what I would do is I would place the player inside a square made of cones and give them four directions that they could go. And I would, I would knock a ball into them, knock a football into them to, to their feet, and I'd call out which way they to go. Either back to me, right, left, or turn and go the other way. And they had to make that moment. And they, they had to actually place themselves in a, in a position, a stance that was unweighted, where they could go any way. They could go that way, that way, that way, turn, or come back this way. Unweighting. We need to be able to place ourselves in a state of neutral, unhampered by our previous religious baggage and what we've seen and what we hope to see. And when, you know, if I say to you, what's revival look like? like? There's probably 80 people in this room. I get 80 different answers. And, and God wants to do a new thing, yeah. not something that is lodged in the baggage of the old thing. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. See, you hear all the time prophets saying there's going to be another Jesus people revival or there's going to be another Toronto revival. No, there isn't. There's going to be a new thing, yeah. a new thing. A brand new thing that has never been seen before because that's how God describes it in the book of Isaiah. A new thing. And we have to make ourselves available to the new thing, not be restricted by our baggage. Back to Field of Dreams. And in the intro, Costner says, he describes himself, he said, until I'd heard the voice, I've never done a crazy thing in my life. It's the quote on my Twitter profile. How does God get us to do new things? He gets us to do crazy things that we've never done before. So we stay open to the new thing. Number four, we need to be able to recognise the genuine voice. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now the most common interpretation of this that you will hear is that Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It's not what it says. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. We'll listen to God's voice not to find something in addition to scripture, but to clarify what's been written. If faith comes by hearing the word of God, you can plug into your Bible app, put your headphones in, go to bed and have Max McLean read the New International Version straight into your brain for eight hours and you wake up with the faith of John Wesley. <laughs> Except... It doesn't happen like that. Faith is actually sourced in discerned hearing. The kind of hearing that recognises the authentic. So faith comes by hearing 
and hearing comes by exposure to his word. You don't learn the counterfeit by studying the counterfeit. Back to my banking days. I went to teller school. Last session on Friday at the end of the week was counterfeit notes. And I thought, oh, they'll show me all the counterfeit notes. They didn't. They showed me all the authentic notes over and over. I learned what the authentic notes looked like. So when something was out of sync, I knew it. Exposure to the scripture helps us to learn that which is outside of God's will. You can become so immersed in the person of Jesus through the scriptures that anything that doesn't fit in there isn't from him. It tells us to prove the good and pleasing good and uh, pleasing and perfect and acceptable will of God. They're not three adjectives, they're just three adjectives describing the same thing. But we need to have a relationship with the scriptures that is regular and consistent and continuous. We need to apprentice ourselves under the scriptures to learn the counterfeit. If you're going to discern evil, don't immerse yourself in evil. You immerse yourself in him so you know when it's not like him. Let me put it another way. Let me put it another way. Mitch Spall was up here before in his chef's pants. And him and Sky are getting married later this year. And let's just say, for the sake of the argument, that, that after they're married, Mitch gets a phone call and he learns that his Uncle Vinny, Uncle Vinny Spall, he doesn't know Uncle Vinny, but Uncle Vinny knows him. And Uncle Vinny has passed away in California and has left Mitch an inheritance. Let's just say that for the argument, sake of the argument. Now, Uncle Vinny, nobody actually knew what he really did for a living, but he had a mansion in Beverly Hills. So they think he's probably associated with the mob in some way. <laughs> actually, his name is Vinny Spalletti. And he's, been, he's anglicised it to Spall. So he's got a mansion in Beverly Hills, lots of acreage, and in one room, there's a whole pile. Mitch and Sky fly over there and they go through the, the mansion and they, they find in one room, there's a whole pile of artwork, paintings. And, and he looks through them and notices that one is a whole lot larger than the rest, like three or four times larger, like huge. And it looks like someone ate paint for a couple of hours and then vomited it on this canvas and then rolled in it. And, and you think, oh, my goodness, what's this? And then Sky looks at the bottom and she sees a signature. Jackson Pollock. Could this be a Jackson Pollock original? There's a Jackson Pollock original hanging in our National Art Gallery. It cost $2 million American in the 1970s. So... Could this be a Jackson Pollock original? And it certainly looks like a Pollock, but you don't know. It could be a counterfeit. It could be a copy. Mitch and Sky don't know. So they call me because I am an expert in Jackson Pollock's paintings. Look, it's my story, okay? When you pinch this, when you pinch this, this story, when one of you preaches and pinches it, you can be whoever you want. But in this story, I'm the art expert. So, they get me because 
And I'm not an art expert who sits around in my you know, chambray shirt, sipping Chardonnay and discussing who should have won the Archibald. I'm a dinky dye Jackson Pollock expert, okay? Just for the sake of the story. So, I know his life. I know his abstract expressionism painting. That's the style. That's his style. His main claim to fame was perfecting the drip technique. That was his preferred method of getting paint on canvas, which is actually just putting a stick in a can of paint and holding it over the canvas and letting it drip. Very high tech. <laughs> but I know all this. I know he stopped naming his paintings and actually just called them by numbers. Jackson Pollock, number 45. And he used house paints rather than oil because they drip better. So I fly into the mansion and I screen off the area. I make it like a crime scene and I do all of these experiments. I check the texture, the type of paint, the colours. I call in a professor of forensic to give me his learned opinion. And after two weeks of testing, I call up Mitch and I tell him that he has a previously unknown Jackson Pollock original. So this piece of art increases in value from a couple of hundred dollars to a hundred million plus. It's genuine. I've proved it. I've given it the Romans 12 treatment. I've proved it, discerned it. Let's just say you fall ill. You go to the doctor, it's not what you want to hear. It's bad. Not good news at all. Not long after, a friend calls you up and says, I've heard from God. Last night, Jesus came to me in a dream and he said, he told me and he asked me to tell you that he's given you this sickness for a season, but then he'll heal you and you'll be restored. A week later, a different friend calls you up and says, Jesus came to me in a dream, same thing, and he's told me to tell you that this disease is not from him and he will set you free. What have you got here? You've just been given two paintings with the signature Jackson Pollock on the bottom. They're both presented to you as authentic, but they're not. And so what do you do? You go to the four Gospels. You immerse yourself in the life of Jesus, the things he said, the things he taught colours, the textures, the brushstrokes of Jesus' life. And without rejecting the first individual who came to you in all integrity, without being spiteful, you lay down that one and you pick up the second dream. Why? Because you proved it. You proved it. You tested it and you proved it. You weighed it against the Word of God the life of Jesus, the patterns of his teaching and speaking, and you proved it. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the authentic piece of art. This is his true voice, the genuine voice, and it's worth over $100 million to hear that from him. Amen. for listening to this podcast.